Blog Talk Radio. again today. We uh, have switched venues at the last moment due to a technical glitch on Progressive Radio Network and were able to come over to a better world radio rather quickly and seamlessly pretty much. So thanks for joining us again today. Today we're going to be looking at the subjects that are embedded in the film Can't Stop the Water, a film which is largely about climate change and uh, right here in our own country, down in the general New York, uh, New Orleans area, and a Native American tribe that are suffering a lot of the consequences of sea level rises, as well as in conjunction with oil drilling that is contaminating the water in the entire overall environment. It's a very powerful film showing the displacement of these people and the issues they are facing in dealing with these natural and, in many ways, unnatural kinds of challenges and conflicts. So we'll be speaking about that with the filmmaker, Rebecca Ferris, who is its director and producer, as well as she has a, uh, an excellent career having made several films, Down from the Mountain, Startup.com, Only the Strong Survive, and Elaine Stritch at Liberty, and beyond. She'll be joining us shortly. Julie Maldonado, who is a Ph.D. in anthropology from American University in Washington, D.C. Her doctoral research has focused on the experiences of environmental change and displacement, specifically in tribal communities in coastal Louisiana. Uh, She has consulted for the U.N. Development Program and the World Bank on post-disaster needs assessments, development for Uh, I'm sorry, development, force displacement, and resettlement, and climate change. So uh, she'll be a very interesting contributor to today's show as well. And we're hoping to get Chief Albert Naquin, who uh, was to be on the other show, but due to the last-minute change, I'm not sure he'll be joining us, but uh, Chief Albert, as he's known, is the traditional chief of the Ile de Jean Charles Band of Biloxi 
I'm having a little trouble with this word, Chimaka Choctaw, located in Terrebonne Parish in Louisiana. Uh, Chief Naquin is a retired federal employee from the Department of Interior, uh, but he has been the chief of this tribe since 1997. And if we do have him on, it will be very interesting to gain some of the perspective on the uh, history of this particular tribe in the area and the way they have been struggling for federal recognition. And it's, um, it's kind of one of those long, real heartbreaking stories that extend back time and they are doing everything they can in the present day to resolve the past issues and move forward toward good solutions in repairing, resolving the issues that are before them as their own nation, as their own tribe. So uh, with that said, I would like very much to uh, invite our guests on to A Better World. Thanks so much for joining us today. Rebecca, I would like to turn to you first and uh, just ask of all the issues that are facing our planet today and people of all nations, what was it about this particular one that struck you that you wanted to document in your film, Can't Stop the Water? Uh, well, my husband and I were living in New Orleans at the time, and um, being from the Northeast, I had we'd recently moved down to New Orleans, um, I had never heard of coastal erosion. I didn't realize that this crisis was happening. And when I found out about this scope of land loss in Louisiana, um, I just knew I had to make a film about it so that people like me and others outside of Louisiana could, um, you know, learn about this, this crisis. Because, in other words, it was so serious an issue. Yes. It's a very serious issue, and people in Louisiana and across the Gulf Coast are very worried about it. Um, but outside of the Gulf Coast, it, there doesn't seem to be much attention paid to it. Um, so we decided to make a film about coastal erosion. In doing our research, we found out about Ile de Jean Charles, and this community is really on the front lines. They're suffering the consequences more than you know almost any other community in the Gulf Coast. Um, so... We decided to focus on on the island and the the tribe living there um, as a way to sort of you know their story is compelling in and of itself, but also to you know it's emblematic of what's happening to communities across the Gulf Coast. Yes, yes. So it ends up you are dealing with two rather significant, uh, in many ways traumatic uh, issues. One, of course, is the sea rise levels and the coastal erosion, and another is uh, what has been happening to the native peoples and the way they have been also diminished and eroded, culturally eroded as well at the same time. And now it's kind of a compounded issue. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, climate change, sea level rise, environmental crises seem to impact um, indigenous communities, marginalized communities, you know, um, communities that um, are marginalized in general. They seem to be suffering from a lot of these environmental crises more than, you know, other communities. So 
um, yeah, there's so many issues wrapped up in this film, it's hard to sort of tease them apart. Yes, exactly. Although I think we could probably say, and i like to hear what others have to say about this as well, that uh, this kind of catastrophe and these kinds of issues tend to show up with people of uh, lower materially economic levels and who do not have as much ability to defend themselves and have a voice in government, federal, state, or local. And so without having that kind of economic punch, they don't get the uh, attention they really should. Um, Yes, absolutely. We saw it with Hurricane Katrina, um, you know, with the Lower Ninth Ward and some of the other communities that were most impacted. You know, the island is, it was really uninhabitable swampland when the tribe um, settled it. And I think Chief Albert, if he's on the phone, can really speak to the history of the community. Um, You know, but because they, you know, they needed somewhere to go, they took land that really nobody else wanted. Um, And now it's still sort of, you know, marginalized land that the government doesn't really feel is worth protecting. Um, And so they're suffering the consequences of that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. Chief Albert, are you with us? Yes, I am. Oh, excellent. Thank you, by the way, for uh, the quick turnaround here. Due to a technical problem that happened, as I mentioned to you, on the other station, uh, after we hung up, I quickly got resourceful and thought of how we could, since we spent so much time putting this together, to uh, to keep it going, but on another of my uh, radio channels. So thanks for joining us. Would you please give us some idea of what's going on now with your people and what are you all experiencing? Of course, I know the film Can't Stop the Water does outline it. Um, it would be really good to hear from you what it's like to be living the situation on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. You know, it's uh, <clears throat> probably it's uh, more like uh, someone. Well, I just have that I've been hospital with my wife. You know, you, you, you're here today and you're going tomorrow, and basically. It's, that's what happened to our community. Uh, our community was, uh, well, we, we used to, uh, to like to call it, it was paradise. In other words, uh, we had all kind of uh, animals that were to be able to live off the land. And, you know, and you go mm-hmm. back there today, you you can't. I mean, you know, we uh, last week we, we planted some uh, box garden to raise them off the, the ground because the ground has so much salinity in it, which nothing can grow. So anyway, that, basically that, that's what it is. I mean, from... From point A to point B, I mean, it, it, it just—it was just a, a rich land to where people could live off of. And today, you, you can't grow nothing. I mean, you know, the only thing living there is the people and a few uh, uh, wild birds and maybe a few rabbits. But other than that, there's, there's nothing there uh, besides us. And you know, uh, so when that, when did this uh, when did this change this radically, where the salinity of the land became so significant that you were not able to grow crops. When when did paradise exist there? Until when? Probably until the probably until in the sixties. Uh then, you know, because the the 
the oil and gas companies came in uh, probably in the late 40s, uh, start uh, digging up canals to bring drilling rigs into the, the area. And every time they would open up a canal, would allow uh, salt water to, to get closer and closer to the, the community. And uh, by, uh, I guess I would say, like 1956, we had Hurricane Audrey, which was a, a pretty uh, devastating hurricane. But, you know, we we didn't evacuate. We we fought the hurricane in, in the community. And, uh, and you know, and, and but because then still at that, at that time, uh, water was not uh, coming in as fast as it is today. Uh, then uh, in uh, 65, 64 maybe it was, uh, we had Hurricane uh, Betsy. Well, then everybody had to evacuate. So within those, uh, let's say those uh, few years, uh, the, the hurricanes uh, had uh, had taken toll on, on the on uh, well on the community, and, and now there would uh, we we don't have a chance at all because there would uh, uh, like say for uh, for let's say uh, let's say 1962 for example well, let's say 1960 just for for a, a number and then you know you're looking at the 64 then we have to start evacuating then and uh, then it just kept on getting worse and worse I mean you know from uh, from an island that was five mile wide and probably Seven to eleven miles long, which was usable land, which we used to 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 fish around there. We, we should, I guess we could still fish, but trap hunt and, and, and raise stuff. Uh, now we can't. Uh, so paradise probably ended probably right there, nineteen sixty, and then uh, along the way it was uh, kind of marginal here and there. People still had gardens, but uh, you know, the livestock was uh, was still minimum. Uh, like cattle, talk about livestock, we talk about cattle, pigs, chickens. Uh, was uh, was down to a minimum, and until now we we don't have anything else. Actually, I don't believe anybody's raising chickens now, or uh, or well, for the cattle for sure, because cattle don't have a chance. I mean, you know, uh, the water comes up, and if it uh, comes up too high, we have to move the cattle off, and it's just too much work. So I guess from well, paradise to, to now, uh, one of the points that? that is made in the film, actually, that you made in the film, is that when you were growing up, the uh, area of land your the habitat of your people was if i remember correctly somewhere between five and seven square miles uh right, give or exactly. take and now it's marginalized down to you know less than one mile um right exactly. i guess this is part of the marginalization um and the excess salinity that you're referring to Right. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> they, they they built a, a ring levee uh, around the community. They, they finished in uh, in uh, oh, oh 08, actually, right there uh, before uh, Hurricane Gustav and I. <clears throat> they uh, they they finished there, and you know, grass really wouldn't even grow because what they did, they, they dug a, 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 a drainage ditch, and and they used the dirt to to make the the, the levee, and. Uh, what uh, what happened then? The grass wouldn't even grow. So what what happened uh, right here in uh, well in the last few months they they elevated the the levees again, but they they hauled dirt so grass is growing. So hopefully uh, it, it won't wash away the drain over there. But uh, but you know, sort of uh, back in, in the in the in the fifties, uh, mid fifties for example, uh, to the sixties. Uh, high tide and low tide was probably had a different of a foot 
today, mm-hmm. in in matter of hours, where we could have 18 inches to two feet in just a matter of hours. So that is how fast the water comes in and out. So the the the, the more water movement we have, the more it washes up the 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 marshes around us. And so the water is going, for instance, in the case of uh, Teresa, again, you know, highlighted in the film, uh, Dardar, where her uh, mobile home has water going, you know, above the steps right into the carpeting in her mobile home. That's, you know, that's several feet. I don't know, three feet or approximately. Is that a common experience among your people? It, it is, it is. Uh, but now we we have basically uh, in, in our community we have but five houses that I believe that's uh, that's not elevated. The others are yeah. up in the air, up to uh, well, I guess from uh, nine feet elevation to uh, no, I'm sorry, it's not nine. It, it's uh, it's eleven feet elevation to to thirteen. So all, all of our houses are elevated. But then, in other words, if a hurricane could come. Our treetops are has been devastated from uh, Katrina and and uh, and Gustave, so we we don't have any high trees anymore. So the houses are almost higher than the trees. So then we, the houses are going to catch the, the wind. So yeah. it, it's not a uh, it's not a good situation. So uh, to 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 put it, how we live and well, we live in on waiting on the next hurricane to see what it's going to do to us. You know, uh, fear yeah. of a, God, a, of the uh, big line to come get us. Yes. So let me ask you a simple question, Albert. Uh, you, how do you eat? What food do you sources do you have for you and your community? Basically, like everybody else, we have to go to the grocery store and buy and purchase it. You know, if we want vegetable, we've got to buy it from somebody else. Uh, the seafood, we still have a few fishermen that that goes out, and then we have we have Teresa's community, which has a more fishermen than what we do, so uh, we, we we go to them and purchase uh, seafood from them. But uh, now, as far as us uh, going uh, to raise uh, a garden and all that, it's it, uh, it's impossible unless unless what we did uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, uh, works for us, where we could put some uh, some hay in in the bottom of a box and put. Uh, uh, our soil on, on, on top, and then plant our our vegetables in there. Yeah, so right. That, that, and you know, it occurs to me that there's also hydroponics and aquaponics, uh, where you would bring in, supply the water from probably in this case an external source, um, and you can uh, instead of growing it in the soil, grow vegetables in the water which is a, awesome. a long-time proven method. Uh, I'd like to bring Julie Maldonado into the conversation. Julie, your work uh, as a doctoral student and professionally has been to be dealing with the coastal regions of Louisiana, in particular as a highly specified um, specialty. It's very interesting. Uh, what have you found, and how does this film represent the stories you've heard and what you've witnessed on uh coast of Louisiana. Yeah, thank you, Mitch, for having us on. Um, I realized, actually, I was trying to speak earlier, and I think you couldn't hear me, so I think I'm hoping uh, yes. you can hear me okay now. 
Okay, excellent. Oh, fine. Um, yes. Oh, okay, great. Um, yeah, so just going back a little bit to um, what Rebecca did an excellent job of describing earlier, and you mentioned really the um, you know, constructed vulnerability of communities along the coast, and um, you know, the communities themselves have tremendous, um, you know, Chief Albert community among them have tremendous amounts of adaptive capacity, um, tremendous resilience, and it's really um, these political, social, economic structures that have dictated the vulnerability and marginalization they're now experiencing. Um, and just so mm-hmm. folks who are not as familiar with the region can get um, kind of a visual sense, um, what Rebecca was describing earlier about the land law. Um, you know, we're talking about close to 2,000 square miles of land loss off the coast of Louisiana. And if you visualize that, you know, that's, that's greater than the state of Delaware. Um, you know, it's an off-sided uh, comment, a uh, football field lost every 40 minutes. Um, and these rates are only increasing. And there are some coastal restoration efforts um, going on along the coast. However, um, these often discount communities like uh, Chief Albert's community um, that are not deemed worth saving when you look at the cost and benefit, and that is how the state and government deem who is able um, to be protected in um, coastal uh, hurricane protection restoration plans. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like insurance companies assigning a monetary value to a limb or to eyes. You know, it's something that doesn't have a monetary value, but they come up with this, the lowest common denominator that they could assign value by, which is money. So here it's life itself. And it's like, uh, it's like non-military triage. Yeah, well, and, you know, and, and it's it's putting that, as you said, you know, economic monetary value on social and cultural importance. Um, and also yes. what it's doing is discounting um, the modeling and example that communities like Chief Alberts provide. Um, they have already, as you started mentioning, you were the hey, they have a tremendous amount of activities going on with minimal resources in the community that is working towards adaptation. Um, that is working to restoring their homeland, that's also working to maintain their cultural sovereignty and keep their community intact and as one social unit cohesion. Um, And so really, communities like Chief Albert um, are providing really a prime example of the type of adaptations um, that can be done justly, respectfully, um, and rightly. And so really um, what they're doing, what we're going to be talking about um, next Wednesday at John Jay College um, at the film event there is really showing, demonstrating what the community has done, what their plans are for moving forward, and how they could really be used as a model for other communities, agency representatives, um, organizations to really see um, the potential aspects of what could be done to not just decrease vulnerability, but really build communities' resilience rejuvenate, renew um, what they're trying to move forward with their plans and really um, to make sure that that cultural sovereignty is intact because at the end of the day, you know, it's really a fundamental human rights issue and these communities have a right to maintain their cultural sovereignty, 
and do so with dignity. Yes, I would say it's 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 cast as a human rights issue, and I think that that's altogether true. But I think even of a higher level order is it's a national obligation issue and a, a human being obligation issue to help to provide and protect the uh, the sovereignty of every different cultural group. And uh, it's it's just it's heartbreaking to see what people are willing to allow just to dissolve. And thankfully, Chief Albert, with your guidance and uh, those in your group, you're uh, rallying together to be, let's say, biodiverse and truly adaptable to some extremely extremely difficult situations. How many people do you have currently in your community, in your tribe? In the tribe, we have, uh, I think it's 650. Uh, It's probably a little bit less since we're we're working on federal recognition and, uh, you know, and we have to be almost perfect to to retain, uh, I guess, the government to... uh, to say that we're going we, we're going to recognize you as a, as a as a tribe in, in the United States, and uh, so therefore those that we have some, uh, word, uh, for example, if we don't have birthdays or uh, or social security numbers or some of that, then we we are removing them. So so because we was up to seven hundred and something, now we're down uh, probably under uh, six fifty. And by the time we get ready to send that off, it'll be a lot less because uh, we, we don't want to take everyone, a Does everyone of the tribe live in Ile de Jean Charles? No, sir. No, sir. Uh, let me give you some numbers from, uh, let's say, uh, let's go to Hurricane Lily in 2002. In 2002, we had 78 homes. Then after Lily, in 2002, we came down to 68. We lost 10. Then after Katrina, we was down to 54. And then after oh. Gustav and I, we was down to uh, to 25, and that's what we have now. So you're looking at about oh, 70, I... between 70 and 80 uh, 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 people living on the island itself. Uh, everybody else is kind of displaced and uh, and had to move off. In other words, uh, uh, I, I, I call that us... force. Uh, would, you, would you give our audience some idea of the history of your tribe. It's obviously been marginalized. It's still not recognized as a tribe, bizarre as that may be, uh, by you could call it the newcomers, which is, in effect, the United States government. And uh, you have, you mentioned to me earlier, the you were in hiding as a, as a tribe. You were in hiding for a long period of time. Could you give us the history of your tribe as you know it? Yes, uh, the the dates are probably not accurate because I used to say we was uh, we moved there either 1840, 1835, 1830. Well, I heard from uh, my brothers, uh, the brother of my dad, and he said uh, that we moved there in 1830. So, and you know, and and from the the our, our great great grandparents that moved there, it. It makes it right because a Frenchman married an Indian woman, and he was disowned by his family. So they moved there where uh, 
uh, his dad used to uh, actually go and uh, and bring supplies to Jean Lafitte through that little bit of bayou that, that, that we have uh, splitting uh, the community of all the Jean Charles. So anyway, we, we moved there and we stayed there in, I must say, in hiding until 1954. Uh, and when you say to, to, to in show, hiding, what do you mean in hiding? We, we was you mean hiding. because of that original, because the, the man's parents didn't like the fact that he married? No, 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 because, because <laughs> no, of being Indian. You yeah. know, the, the the removal act of 1830 was uh, trying to move all the Indians to uh, to Oklahoma. So instead of going oh, there, a, a, few, a, a few of the tribes, uh, some members of certain tribes, like, like I say, we call it the Biloxi, the Chittimacha, and the Choctaws. So uh, a lot of them moved into the, the bayous. Uh, and uh, so we, we were in... So we, they wouldn't we, we be not, removed, displaced to Oklahoma, in other words. Right. So they wanted we, to stay we, at what they felt as their homeland. Right, exactly. So, so we went and hide there, and uh, uh, basically to, to get to the to the island, and in, in until the '54, uh, it was by boat, a P-Rogue as we call them, uh, and then finally they, they made us a, a road. But to be to be honest with you, my mother in 19 after the road was built. When I, when I would leave the house, I, I was a, a, a young man, before I, I could go anywhere I wanted, before the road was done. But then after the road was built, she, she would tell me when I'd leave, and I, you hear her call coming, you go hide. Cause they excuse, me, take you a, excuse me one second, Chief Albert. There's a lot of background noise somewhere on someone's line. Um, okay. if, if, that, if anyone has any control over that, please do, because it's coming across on the radio. Okay. It wasn't me because okay. I'm very quiet over here. Okay. Here okay, is so well. Thank it, you so much. It's gone. Go ahead. It's That's gone. much better. But anyway, no, uh, uh, I guess I was saying until uh, 1954, uh, in 1954, after they, they finished the, the, the road coming to the, to the island community, uh, I could I could run around the community as as a young boy uh, because everybody knew who we were and everybody took care of one another so it, it it wasn't a problem but then after they built the road when I leave the house my mama would always tell me said if you hear a car coming you go hide because they're gonna take you away because oh. she she was told by by her mom and dad or, or grandparents that. Uh, you know the the Indian was always the, the children was always taken away to put into a, a boarding school. Yeah. So she, right. she wanted me to be one of away. the residential schools. Yeah. So, so, that, mm-hmm. so that was in 1954. So oh. you know, we, we wasn't highly highly educated, so we, we didn't know it any better until you know we we got a, a little bit older. Then we realized you know that uh, th- that wasn't happening anymore. So, yes. but yeah, so, yes. so be, being hidden for, for so long, uh, uh, kind of, because uh, uh, you know, we, we lost our, our Indian language, our Choctaw language that we used to speak, uh, and, 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 and went to, to French. And then, and then, to be it all, then we, we start, we speak French, then we start going to school, they don't want us to speak French, they just want us to speak English. So, basically, hmm. we lost the Choctaw language. We lost the French language because of the, the you know, I hate to say that the whites didn't want us to, uh, to, to to speak nothing but English because the English was the, was the language. Uh, so 
uh, like see, uh, my mom and dad could, could not speak English, and uh, I learned English in school, and and then I uh, I uh, then my my two kids don't speak French, <laughs> so you see where in in, in two yeah. two generation we 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 lost uh, uh, I guess I guess our doctoral language and uh, and the French language in 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 a matter of time. So and, and now I hear I hate, hate to, to bring that up, but I hear that the the government says that if if you don't you know I'm talking about the federally recognized tribe now, if 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 a tribe does not have their own language, they was going to take that their recognition away. So, but you know they don't want to take it away. I mean you know we we just can't win without with, with our government. It, it, it's yeah. just. Uh, 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 I won't say a lose lose deal. Whatever you do, you find something to uh, to, to deny you. Yeah. So, if so. I understand, of course, it was the United States government that played a large role in uh, essentially uh, the decimation of your culture, right. including language, yeah. and then uh, reproach you years later by saying that if you don't have your language. Um, that means you're not rec- you're not worthy of federal recognition, right? It, well, exactly. See, Yet they were the ones that, responsible that, largely for its removal. Yeah, those well, it's that a moved to Oklahoma. Yeah, exactly. Th- those that moved to Oklahoma, uh, you got to consider they uh, they would give them a piece of land, uh, the Indian a piece of land, and then next to that piece of land they would give a, a white man a piece of land so they said it was it was kind of making a sandwich with them you know you put the bread here you put the whatever would put the indian here you put the white next door you put the indian here put the, that was to kind of cut out the, the 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 community part of it and also uh, making sure that uh that the indian blood uh goes down instead of going up or or remaining uh, as indian so uh at the same level so yeah. Well, yeah, I heard that when I went to uh, to, to Oklahoma. To uh, that, there was a, a guy from, from the UN that was there. He was supposed to be the the savior of the indigenous people, and uh, so I, and, I, and I went and and I heard a lot of the, the the natives talk about what was going on in that in that community. You know, I thought it was just uh, the, the non federal recognized tribe, but the federal recognized tribes are are going through a, a lot of uh, I guess uh, government bureaucracy uh, as well. So therefore, uh, but the thing is, the, the yeah. sad part about it is, after he he made all this this trips uh, uh, of talking to to natives, they, they wouldn't even let him talk to again. So it was kind of a waste of time. I mean, you know, we, I mean, yeah. you know, we, but we, we still have to keep on trying. Like I like I told in the yeah. film, says, there's no question. Uh, about it. No I, no I went question. through through many battles and haven't won any. Uh, yeah. Well, that means there's a win around the corner. Let's let everyone know you are listening to A Better World Radio with Mitchell J. Rabin. We're on every Wednesday, typically, at 6 p.m., and we are found in archive at abetterworld.tv as well as at Blog Talk Radio. You can tune in anywhere, anytime to any of the shows. They are available for free, and we encourage you to pass these on as well to your friends, forward them, etc., so people can get wind of this very valuable information and stories about our lands and about 
land and about our people and the issues they are facing and the formidable ways in which they are rising up in order to maintain, sustain their own cultural identity and actual sustenance by learning to work with land that has been rendered nearly uninhabitable. And if you do not yet get our newsletter, make sure to go again to abetterworld.tv where we have a free A Better World newsletter every week listing our shows from television on Monday evenings in New York City to our Tuesday and Wednesday radio shows. Also, I just want to, uh, Julie, thank you for reminding me uh, and mentioning that this group that we have on today's roundtable discussion, we will all actually, I'll be moderating the panel on Wednesday at John Jay College in New York City, April 22nd at 7 p.m. on the subject of this film, Can't Stop the Water. And all of the topics that we are touching upon here today will be brought up in this panel. And it's free and it's open to the public. And we really encourage you all to come. Well, I don't know if everybody listening could come, but if you get there early enough, you should be able to. And we have information on that in this week's newsletter. So if you do go to abetterworld.tv and click on newsletter, you can read about the details and logistics for attending that, as well as the three-day eco-film festival that Lindsay Kamen has organized there at John Jay College. She is a force for the good and a pioneer in bringing films of social justice, economic justice, indigenous justice, and environmental to the students who are involved with criminal justice. And by learning about these other forms of justice and largely injustice, you can understand why criminality may be at the level that it is in our society, and I would dare say we have remedies that are way nearer at hand than most people, especially politicians, would like to uh, believe. So on that note, I'd like to uh, invite you all to the Eco Film Festival for three days. Again, it's all for free and information at our site. Rebecca, I'd like to bring you back into the conversation here uh, by asking you, when you did the study and research into erosion in Louisiana, did you find other places in the country that were also being comparably eroded? Or did it seem that it was really happening in a worse case in Louisiana? Well, there's no question that it's happening in Louisiana faster than anywhere else on the planet, actually. Um, so when we first started making the film, we thought that Louisiana really was the hotbed of coastal erosion. But, um, you know, in the years since we started making this in 2010, uh, Sandy occurred, and we all know that the East Coast is vulnerable, the Jersey Shore, um, lower Manhattan, um, and we've since learned about communities in the Pacific Northwest uh, that are dealing with coastal erosion. There's a community, a Native American community in North Carolina. Um, there are communities in Alaska not dealing with coastal erosion, but permafrost melt. Um, mm -hmm. So, yes, 
there are so many communities. I mean, it used to be that it was something happening to faraway communities in the South Pacific, and, um, you know, it's just not the case now. We're, we're learning that it's, it's all coastal communities are, are vulnerable at this point. Um, but again, you have a lot more. You have many more films to make, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. There are stories everywhere, um, but it is it is true that Louisiana is actually the fastest disappearing landmass on Earth. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that disturbing piece of information. But I'd like to uh, ask Julie. I mean, you of the many areas that you have interfaced with. Uh, in consulting uh, the United Nations Development Program, uh, World Bank, etc., cetera, uh, you're dealing a lot with climate change. And no doubt you're also dealing with issues of contamination as a result of oil drilling, both on and offshore. Uh, what are the impacts of both of those in the situation of, of Chief uh, of the chief's area, his tribe. How are these two factors Im- impacting this particular area of Ile de Jean Charles? Um, yeah, I think, Mitch, I'm glad you brought that up in terms of bringing these issues together because it really is a conglomeration of factors, right? And so, yes. the climate change in this case, um, you know, acts as a tipping point if you will. Um, As Rebecca mentioned, um, coastal Louisiana is losing land uh, at a greater rate than anywhere else in the world. Um, You know, one of the reasons um, southeast coastal Louisiana is facing the greatest rate of relative sea level rise because you have climate change-induced sea level rise occurring in conjunction conjunction with subsidence. Um, Subsidence driven by changing waterways, levee systems and um, the mass infrastructure um, of the oil and gas industry, which has um, over 16,000 miles of pipelines off the Gulf Coast, predominantly in coastal Louisiana. Um, And to create all those pipelines, um, there's dredging of mass passageways. And as Chief Albert indicated about um, the community facing greater impacts from storms, as the as those waterways are dredged, it allows more water to wash through. So every time you have a storm, more land is pulled away. And now with climate change, you also have increasing um, frequency and intensity of storms um, and mm-hmm. greater ranges of extreme events. And so we can you know, debate climate change all we want, but no one can debate the weather. And the weather is real and it's factual, and that's what's happening um, yeah. as these storms come in and take away uh, more land, and so it's it's a cyclical issue where all of these different um, factors come together, um, predominantly human induced, as well as um, some of the natural processes as well. Is there anyone doing anything to challenge? Oh, this is a big one: uh, the local uh, oil companies and the uh, contamination there. Uh, effect they're having on the land and on the water around uh, Ile de Jean Charles and in the larger region. Yeah, um, I'll let Chief Albert speak directly to his tribe. For the um, region in general, um, the East New Orleans um, 
levy district initiated, um, and now many parishes have signed on um, uh, to essentially um, sue the um, oil and gas companies, 97 companies, um, for needing to either restore what has been damaged or if it is unrestorable, um, needing to pay um, uh, compensation. However, mm-hmm. that case is currently uh, embroiled um, in the court system. Um, Governor Jindal of Louisiana um, has tried to render that void where you can essentially no longer sue an oil company in the region. Um, However, the communities themselves have really come together on this issue um, and not just pointing fingers but saying, what can we do and initiate ourselves um, to move this forward while things are dealt with in the legal system? Um, mm-hmm. And, and uh, if Chief Albert wants to speak to um, some of the um, strategies this community has undertaken... Yes. Yeah. What we Chief did, Albert, we, we got together with. Yes. Set up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We. Uh, what we did, we actually, we we joined up with. Uh, I don't know if if you heard of the Green Army, but anyway, we joined forces with them uh, to try to to get the uh, the oil companies to uh, to stand up for the there were the, the well digging of the canals to open up the the waterways to allow more water to come in. To, to see if they could maybe some do some restoration, and also we we got together with a, a law firm uh, that uh, that's willing to to fight with us for basically for in other words if there's some money that comes around that they they're going to pay well then then they're going to get paid out of that is pro bono uh, but they're they're fighting the, the oil companies as well for us to to see if they can get them to to restore. Uh, the damage that that was done by them. So, uh, how is it looking? There's a few things going on, and but uh, there were there's no no guarantee that anything's going to happen because there were dog companies seem to uh, excuse my French, but they they buy out the, the politicians. Yeah, right, right, right. Sure, but how how uh, do you feel that you're making some progress with the with the litigation against the oil companies? Uh, we make it progress. Everybody it's very, very slow. So, but by the time we get anything, it's probably, probably going to we probably going to wind up losing that as well. What do you but, but do? We don't move towards it. You mentioned that you are using straw as a way of, uh, I guess, neutralizing the effects of the salinity based on the uh, higher sea level. Uh, and the water coming onto the land, rendering it almost ungrowable. Uh, are, are there other measures that you are taking to create a greater level of sustainability for your people? What we did now, uh, well, we planted some, uh, I don't know if, if you all heard it, it's the first time I hear about it. It's known as oyster mushroom. They have uh, another name. I wish I had the book in front of me, but uh, uh, it goes by name. What it is, we, we plant that around. Uh, actually, we what it is our our little front bayou, you, which used to be na- uh, navigable, now is uh, is closed off on on both ends. 
So we have stagnant water in uh, in in there. So we planted some mushrooms to to grow, and hopefully when it rains, it's going to hit the mushroom, and some of that the good uh, rich uh, fertile stuff is going to is going to drain and go into the, the little bayou to uh, mm-hmm. to uh, well, yeah, to, to to make the the the, the water that stays in there. Uh, Try to get the contaminants out of there anyway. Uh, yes. What I what, what I had tried to do is, is open up. See, they have valves on 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 each end. I was going to open up the, the valves on both ends, let the salt water come in there, and because what it is, we have a lot of mosquitoes. So uh, the mosquitoes are are laying their eggs in, in the bayou because it's, it's fresh water now, and it doesn't go anywhere. So the mosquitoes, a good place for mosquitoes to. To, to to lay their eggs and and you know and and populate. So I was going to open yeah. up some salt water and let the salt water come in there and hopefully destroy the the mosquitoes. But then uh, I was told that I couldn't do that because the, the 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 pump that pumps the water out of the the drainage system would pump salt water and it would damage the the pump. So they, they sure. kicked me out of that. So now we're trying the mushroom to see if we can. Uh, uh, get some kind of uh, good water in there. Maybe that, that's going to stop the mosquitoes from uh, from from growing. You know, but the, what you talked about the the, the what I talked about the, the straw. It was uh, bales of hay that that we put inside of a box to just to kind of get the 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 soil off the off the ground. In order to kind of raise it, we yeah. kind of raised it, but, but about the, the the size of a bay hale, you know, which is about a, a what fifteen inches. So, so we've got about, about 15 inches off the ground to to try to, mm-hmm. to actually it's growing because uh, I've seen uh, uh, well uh, I know the others know, know Chris and and the two kids well they, they planted theirs in there and uh, and I passed by that just the other day and uh, and I've seen some some green coming up so apparently there because they had tomatoes in there cucumbers oh. and I forget what else they had but they had a, a few oh, signs of life. Yeah. Yes, that was that life. Is really good. It yeah. occurs, that's beautiful. Isn't it beautiful when life just shows up like that? Surprises yeah, everyone. God almighty. Yep. A breath of yep. fresh air. You know, I'm thinking just aloud, Chief Albert, uh, that uh, there are, uh, there's this uh, brilliant, brilliant system called permaculture. You've probably heard of it. But it's very adaptive. It's all about using the environment and whatever resources uh, many or few in a given environment f- and maximizing their value and application for creating uh, really pretty healthy food and, uh, and uh, an ecosystem that continues to build over time, even when things are rather barren. So it uh, might be something I could connect you with some permaculture people who may be able to be of some some help to you and your people. That would be a wonderful thing to see, all of you thriving, even in the face of the most difficult and challenging of of times and contexts. Well, we are out of time, and I just want to thank you all for joining me today in this roundtable discussion that was inspired by Rebecca Ferris's film, Can't Stop the Water, she and her husband. And uh, I really appreciate the film. And let's just pray that its effects are going to be far-reaching as more and more people see it 
across the country. Now, just tell our audience quickly uh, that you are all on a tour. Is that correct? For the next uh, yes. week or ten days or so. Uh, yes, Julie it's a or Rebecca, mini tour. Uh, we're we're doing three cities. Yeah. We're going to be in D.C., Philadelphia, and New York. Um, yes. And yes. the screenings can be found on our website, can'tstopthewater.com. Um, and part of our Good. tour, we're going to be doing a congressional briefing where Chief Albert, Julie, and uh, another member of the uh, of the advisory council for the tribe will be uh, educating Congress about some of the issues that the community is facing. Oh, good. Oh, good. I'm very glad to hear that. Well, each of you, thank you, Rebecca Ferris, Julie Koppel, Maldonado, and Chief Albert. I really appreciate all of your good work and uh, attention, heartfelt attention, to these issues. Uh, You're serving the local fractal level as well as the larger human picture. So thanks so much for everything that you're doing. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you all. And I look forward to seeing you in New York next week. And we'll all be gathering at John Jay College. Okay, now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is Mitchell J. Rabin. I hope you got as much from that as I did and learned about these uh, incredibly challenging situations that, uh, you know, if some of us are dealing with Well, there is a level on which all of us are dealing with it because, yeah, you know, Julie mentioned Sandy and uh, Rebecca, and that was right down here in downtown Manhattan, New York City, in Queens, in Brooklyn, in Staten Island, on the Jersey Shore. That's right, right here. And uh, in order to get electricity. I had to hop on my bicycle and head west, yes, west to 7th Avenue and uh, hook up there with the surge protector and many other people doing same in a local coffee shop over there. And uh, It was actually a time of great community building. People were, by and large, very helpful to each other under what were pretty challenging situations. But really, really, it's nothing in comparison to what this tribe is dealing with. We didn't really get into the issue of the federal recognition, but the irony is almost too much to bear. It really requires a proper sarcasm-based comedian to point out that the bully in the schoolyard crosses the pond called the Atlantic Ocean comes to what was known then as the colonies that was inhabited by many, many, many thousands of native people native to what we call Turtle Island, living their lives in relatively relative harmony, not perfect, no groups are. Let's not over-idealize or idolize, but to recognize they, uh, there were many nations in short, that had a way of life that worked among themselves. Then the white man, I'm referring to him in this story as the bully comes over, takes over everything, poisons, cheats, steals, plunders, pillages, rapes the people who were native to this land, builds a government, puts the people onto reservations, 
takes away their culture, takes away their language, takes away their identity, and then refuses to recognize them many years later because they do not have a cultural identity. (sighs) Go figure. Violence after violence. And thankfully, based on awesome resilience that Julie had referenced, many natives, and this in particular with uh, Prince Albert's tribe, continues to live and sustain against the most difficult and challenging of conditions. We can only be awed by what they have done and what they continue to do. And the battles continue. These are not of the past, but federal recognition is continually withheld because they are not meeting some kind of academic criteria that are not relevant to the real living situation. It's sad. And still, solutions are being found and implemented. And if there is anyone in the world of permaculture that is listening, we would welcome your input. And we will be, as was said, at John Jay College of Criminal Justice next Tuesday, I'm sorry, Wednesday, April 22nd at 7 to 9 for a panel. Uh, All of those on the roundtable will be there, including myself as moderator of this evening, talking about Can't Stop the Water, this film. If you haven't seen it, make sure you do. uh, Can'tStopTheWater.com, the movie, or on our website, we have it as well, or access to it, I should say. And uh, be part of the solution. We're all up against this together. As Reverend Jesse Jackson said, we all came over in different boats, but we're all in the same boat now. And it's high time we really digest that fact. Anyway, this is Mitchell J. Rabin. So glad you're joining us again today. Please pass the word on to your friends, your foes, your family, your colleagues, and others uh, so more and more people can get the uh, benefit of these shows that deal with these topical issues. Again, also sign up for our newsletter, free newsletter, at abetterworld.tv for further information. You will get it on that newsletter and at our site, as well as email me at mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr at abetterworld.net. I so appreciate your comments, your feedback, and your suggestions. So on that note, I look forward to seeing you all next week.